Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Monica Oss, founder and chief executive officer of Open Minds. We're a distinguished national market intelligence and management consulting firm specializing in the health and human service field. In this episode of the Care Threads podcast, I sit down with Dave Strokia, Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Human Services at NetSmart, to discuss some of the pressing financial sustainability concerns facing behavioral health provider organizations. Dave, I am looking forward to this discussion today. Um, you know, in the past year, we've kind of went from, um, you know, post-pandemic to this kind of new world of delivering health and human services. And I think our shared uh, customers, uh, the behavioral health organizations, have a lot of financial sustainability issues that they're going to need to look at. You know, from your perspective, you know, what do you see as the strategic issues that are, are facing the behavioral health field in the months ahead? Yeah, thanks, Monica. It's great to speak to you again. I love uh, recording these sessions with you and the and the team from Open Minds. Um, and you're 100% right. It's it's a challenging time to be a behavioral health uh, human services provider in the United States today. There's a lot of challenges that are hitting providers that you know are our clients and that are your clients. Um, and uh, the, these are challenges that are hitting all of our clients and all of our providers on a regular basis. Um, there and all of those are really translating into what I'll call margin compression, right? So, uh, you know, NetSmart's a, a business, and you know, in addition to working with our clients, um, we 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 work with our business or we work on the business, and we try and manage things from both a top line perspective and a bottom line perspective. And what I mean by that is, uh, top line is really our, our growth, right? It's the revenue that we're producing, it's the 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 business that we're driving, and then our bottom line is um, what's the profitability we can drive from that, right? How much does it cost us uh, to go deliver that revenue? And there are many challenges uh, that human services providers are facing today that are compressing that margin, right? Things that are preventing the top line growth that they'd really like to provide and things that at the same time are frankly causing it to be a little bit more expensive uh, to go get to that growth. Um, one of the number one things that we talk to our clients about on a regular basis is, is workforce, right? You talk to just about anyone, they would say that their, their number one inhibitor to growth is workforce. And what we like to tell our clients is you're, you know, stop thinking that you're in a workforce crisis or a workforce challenge. You're in a workforce competition, right? You're competing for workforce with uh, all other providers and frankly, other organizations that aren't even human services providers. But what that means is that the cost of labor is up, right? And so that's something that, you know, can really uh, hurt your ability on the bottom line to go uh, in terms of the cost that it, it to to deliver those services. Now, during the pandemic, um, really what we found is that there was an influx of funding, right? Grant funding, uh, federal funding, right? Other things that were happening that was help, that were helping our clients to sort of combat some of these things. Those are those are not necessarily continuing in the same way that they had before. And so then that requires a, a different way of thinking about the problem in order to make sure that, um, that you have the same level of funding that you've had in previous years. At the same time, uh, human services providers are being challenged to use technology in new ways, right? So if, if you think about the problem, 
you know, if historically we've looked to leverage more staff to try and fill in gaps, if that's not necessarily an option because the cost of labor is, is higher than before or because the staffing just isn't available, then part of the solution is how do you turn to technology to make the staff you do have more efficient or to fill in gaps? Uh, at the same time, our providers are seeing new and different types of competition. Uh, there's studies that you see every day or, 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 or market journals that you see every day about private equity backed organizations getting into behavioral health and addiction treatment, uh, about uh, IDNs or, or hospital systems expanding uh, the types of services that they provide and getting into behavioral health and, and whole person care. And, you know, really what this does for our clients is it, it makes it imperative that they focus on value, right? And value as a, as a definition is uh, the value is, is what you're providing over the cost that is costing you to provide that value. And, you know, I think that's really, Monica, what we want to get into today is what are some of the things that behavioral health and human services providers can focus on uh, to, number one, focus on top line, right, to grow their business, uh, while also focusing on bottom line to reduce the amount of cost to go deliver that same level of productivity? Well, you know, you've, you've really done a great summary of kind of, I would say, the big strategic issues, the competition for workforce, the end of the pandemic dollars, the need to focus on value and kind of compete based on value. But I'd like to drill down a little bit more on the last piece on that top line piece. Um, you know, it has really been critical for uh, behavioral health organizations to kind of compete for revenue, to compete for consumers, compete for health plan contracts. And you would think if you read, picked up the paper that there would be no problem because demand is at an all time high. But there seem to be challenges in terms of the, the demand for integrated care, the kind of backward integration by health plans to deliver some of their own services, the private equity that you mentioned. Um, so what do you see as the opportunities right now in the field and how should our behavioral health executives be organizing around pursuing some of the new opportunities that are popping up in the field? Yeah, I, I think you're 100% right, Monica. Um, you know, the, uh, the the good news here, or the silver lining in this equation, uh, is that there is a lot of opportunity, right? There's opportunities for growth for behavioral health organizations. And um, like you said, a lot of that is because the, the demand has never been higher, right? The demand for the types of services that your clients, that our clients provide, uh, has never been higher, right? And a lot of that is a testament to the great service that they've been providing for many, many years. And so, you know, there's lots of opportunities. One of the biggest things that we see is the opportunity to diversify. And, and you're seeing this across the board. You're seeing uh, providers who historically were focused on mental health, providing integrated uh, addiction treatment services. You're seeing organizations that maybe were historically behavioral health and addiction providers get into IDD, start to provide autism and APA services. Uh, and then the other thing you're seeing quite a lot of is uh, these providers diversify into primary care. And many, many of our clients, I think you're seeing the same thing. I'd love your thoughts on it. They're, they're starting to think about, well, how can I provide integrated primary care services within my behavioral health environment? Because the individuals that I'm seeing, they frankly, they sorely need it and are sorely looking for access to primary care services. Yeah, I think you've hit on the, I see as the big opportunities. Uh, like you, when I'm working with an executive team, my, my message is there's lots of opportunity out there. It just looks slightly different than it did five years ago. And, and the big piece is really exactly what you said. 
how do you serve those really complex consumers that have co-occurring disorders, they have IDD and mental health issues, they have autism overlay, and very importantly in getting those, you know, very choice health plan contracts, how do you have an integrated care strategy that lets you do primary care? Yeah, 100% agree. I 100% agree. The big thing we're seeing now is, I think the pandemic and telehealth did one really important thing, which is it has freed up the behavioral health uh, leadership teams to not think about having to deliver primary care in any one way. That they can be a CCBHC, they can do in-home primary care, they can do virtual, they can become an FQHC or a lookalike, that there are many more options. Um, and I, I think, and I guess my question for you is if you look at that expanding market for these very, you know, people with very complex needs, um, do you see some key technologies that they should be investing in to be able to pursue that top line growth in this new market? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Netsmart's a technology company, right? So that's where my mind goes. I'm, I'm a technologist uh, by by history and, and by trade. And, and I, I would say absolutely. Number one, um, it's so critical to have an integrated record. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, as you look at these organizations that are diversifying in terms of the types of services that they provide, that are providing integrated primary care, oftentimes they're doing that um, either in part or in total as a part of a value-based payment arrangement, right? Where um, they're taking on some form of risk, whether that's a capitated payment, whether that's an incentive payment, um, you know, whether there's some kind of financial penalty that's potentially in play, they're, they're taking on risk. And when you're taking on risk, that means that there is some amount of um, outcomes measurement that you're tied to and that your reimbursement becomes tied to, whether that's uh, to use some, some of your examples, whether those are CCBHC outcomes, um, you know, wh whether on the FQHC space, it's things like UDS measures, right? There are outcomes measures that, that can impact your, your, your reimbursement. And in order to truly manage that, you just, you need to know more about your client, right? You can't have your behavioral health data in one area and your social determinants of health in another area and then your primary care information in another area because all of those things form the picture of the total healthcare outcomes for that individual. And you truly need a data strategy to pull all of that information together, either into a single record or at a minimum into a single, single business intelligence or data platform uh, in order to understand the total healthcare outcomes of every single individual that you're working with and then with your population as a whole. Well, you know, you brought up one, and one point I left off that I, I would like a comment about. Exact, you know, you're talking about integrating the physical, behavioral, the social determinant assessments, that, that entire consumer record. Um, I think that one of the big challenges facing specialty providers, whether they started on the mental health side, addictions, IDD, is solving the interoperability puzzle. That, you know, they need to be part of the whole in order to do population health management and get those analytics. Uh, what do you see as kind of the best practice around interoperability? Yeah, get as much data as you can, right? <laughs> if you if you have access to data, go get it, right? And bring it into your environment, right? So that would be my recommendation, right? So if you, there's a local hospital system uh, in your area, go integrate with them, 
right? Um, go get ED alerts from them, right? Go uh, create a referral partnership with them. Uh, if there's a local HIE, sign up. Uh, get involved in the Carry Quality Network, right? Do those things. The, the great news is that from a technology perspective, there's more standards and more widely adopted standards today than there ever have been before. And one of, one of the great outcomes of, of the ONC regulations, right, that organizations like NetSmart have to abide by to be a certified EHR is that you have to adopt standards. You have to be able to create and consume CCDs. You have to support fire APIs, right? You have to do these things. And that's not just true of companies uh, of NetSmart. That's true of any technology provider that has an ONC certified electronic health record. And that creates great opportunities for interoperability and, and frankly makes it uh, a lot easier. Um, you know, and one of the things that I wanted to, to touch on while we're talking about interoperability and we're talking about payers is, you know, uh, if we're looking at some of the, the, the ways that um, NetSmart clients, that open mind, that open minds clients can uh, grow, right, look for growth areas. I think another big way to do that is improving the relationship that you have with payers and health plans. And this is something that we recommend to all of our clients is, you know, go create those relationships. If we're talking about diversifying, it's not just in the services that you provide. Uh, it's in it's in your reimbursement sources. Right. And if you're locked in and tied to a single state's Medicaid, then you're kind of at their mercy. Um, and, and I'd like to ask I can I don't know if I'm turning the tables on you, but Monica, I'd like to ask you a question. What what recommendations do you make for for your clients as uh, you know, they look to create a stronger relationship and negotiate better rates or, or, or create better relationships with their payer sources? Well, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is a key to taking advantage of any of these new top line opportunities. Most of them come from health plans. I mean, even, even for the provider organization that is Medicaid centric, you know, 80% of the Medicaid population is now managed by some kind of health plan and that just keeps ticking up every year. Uh, we're recommending a couple things, and it starts with A, you have to be able to do managed care flawlessly and, and in a cost-effective manner. It can't be by hand. You need technology to do revenue cycle management and take care of, I would call it the administrative piece of managed care. Uh, the second piece is to get the better contracts to go beyond being a commodity referral for a health plan and get those value-based contracts that have returns. You have to be able to demonstrate the value you mentioned in the opening. The, you have to come with the performance analytics and the ability to do that. And then the last piece, and th this is reiterating the interoperability piece, if you're going to have that value-based contract, it's not enough just to have your own data. Most of the value, our annual survey, we saw the top, um, top reimbursement bonus factors were readmission rates, diversion from emergency rooms, and follow-up after hospitalization. None of those are really possible to manage without some kind of interoperability link with the rest of the system. So I, I would think of it, Dave, in that way, those three things are really critical to being a success, having a successful and profitable relationship with health plan. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I think it all boils down to uh, playing offense, right? The, I think the, the number one recommendation that I would make is, is play offense, find a way to play offense, right? If that is diversifying your service line by getting into 
uh, new, new types of service delivery, if it's creating better relationships and negotiating with health plans, uh, if it's diversifying geographically, right? So you are not so dependent on any one state, right? If it's providing the best possible experience for the consumers that you're serving so that they choose to receive services from your organization. Find a way to play offense to increase your top line. Well, you know, I'd like to pivot a bit with that because while, you know, the growth strategies sound good, the opportunities are many, I, th I think you've talked about the technological underpinnings for growth. We've talked a little bit about health plans and optimizing health plan relationships. It still is challenging to manage all of this to a positive bottom line. And as we think about, you know, in the opening, financial sustainability is top line, bottom line. Um, I do think that the entire field needs to be thinking about better management practices in order to you know, be net positive with all of these new programs that they're offering and continuing to offer traditional services. What do you see as kind of the key management practices for getting that positive bottom line? Yeah, I think some, some of the, the, the good news here is that um, it's not new it's not a new ask to for behavioral health providers to do more with less right our, our clients have been asked to do more with less for probably as long as as they've been in business um, but there are a, a number of things that we recommend to our clients or that we think providers uh, can look at and I'll um, I'll talk about a number of them I, I think the first one I want I, I would uh, touch on is find ways to reduce your administrative cost right? There are parts of every single organization where uh, there's spend that you have that is non-productive, right? Whether it's not directly tied to service delivery, right? Or it's not directly tied to um, what actually drives your top line um, and find ways to go reduce those uh, administrative thoughts. One of the big things that, because again, NetSmart's a technology company, right? One of the big things that we look at is how can you leverage emerging technology in the area of automation to remove those administrative burdens and to reduce your administrative costs. There are more automation tools that exist today in the technology landscape than there ever have been before. And it's one of the areas where, um, frankly, technology is moving even faster than the rest of the landscape, right? So if we were to go back in time uh, five to 10 years ago, there's no such thing as robotic process automation. Uh, there's no such thing, or, or at least not in our space. Nobody's talking about artificial intelligence. Nobody's talking about machine learning. No one's talking about natural language processing, right? And, and these are all things that uh, exist today. And I, I truly think automation is the key, right? We have to find ways to automate repetitive tasks within the space. Or I'll give you a great example, right? We talked about CCBHC. Um, CC, for every single, every single CCBHC client needs to collect NOMS data, and they have to report it to SAMHSA. And up until very recently, SAMHSA did not allow for the electronic submission of that data to their portal. And so a lot of CCBHCs hired human beings to type it in, right? Type it into the sparse portal. And there are so many things that exist like that today because across all of the different states, all the different states have state reporting requirements. Um, our clients need to find ways to, to automate that. And, um, at NetSmart, we, we offer the ability to do, uh, many of these via upload, right? Any, and everyone that we can find. But tools exist today, uh, like robotic process automation, which is a really 
a fancy way to say that we're going to train a computer to do the same repetitive task as a human uh, to go do these things. And, you know, you can deploy this in, in many different areas. Uh, you know, you can play it for, for what I talked about in terms of uh, reporting uh, to state and federal agencies. Um, but you can deploy it in your revenue cycle, right? Uh, why should a human being be entering remittance manually? I, I don't see any reason why. And so there are things like that that we need to look at across the board to leverage technology and leverage automation tools to automate repetitive tasks. So, you know, when you're talking about automation, I'd like to pivot, take that one step further. You're talk, you've talked about administrative tasks, filing reports. I, I know there's automation for um, AI helpers, for people who call in. I mean, all those administrative tasks. But what about on the clinical side? Are there pieces that can be used to automate the clinical process too? Yeah, I, I think that there are. Um, and, and when we say automation in the clinical space, you know, we, we need to be careful because what we're not talking about is a, a a bot writing clinical documentation for a clinic. Right? We don't want to do that. There's, right. you know, there's, uh, we, we don't want to leverage chat GPT or GPT-4 to go create progress notes. Um, you know, that's not, it's not HIPAA compliant. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not best practice, but there are tools that can be used to, to make the documentation process a lot easier. Um, and, and our organizations actually work t- together to do a study. And I think part of that study was, uh, or one of the results that, that we found was, the average clinician spends 40% of their time on documentation. And, and that's a huge number, right? It's, it's two days out of every five, five day work week, but it, it doesn't really manifest that way. It manifests that way in nights and weekends, right? Where when a clinician should be having dinner with their family, they're catching up on progress notes, right? And when they should be, um, you know, do, doing something different, they're, they're catching up on documentation. Uh, and technology exists today to make that process easier, where it's not AI creating a note for a clinician, but it is leveraging things like natural language processing uh, in order to create a recommendation engine and create shortcuts for clinicians so they can create true person-centered uh, documentation, true individualized documentation a lot easier because these tools can uh, can dig into all of the different data that exists on the individual that you're serving from their EHR. They can serve it up to you in a very usable way, and they can use it to make recommendations for how you write your documentation and, and not only make it quicker, but make it a heck of a lot uh, of a higher level of quality so that that back and forth time that all clinicians hate when their documentation gets rejected, we can just eliminate that entirely. So it really is, you know, as I'm thinking about your whole approach to how do you manage the bottom line, it really is how do you select the right technologies for your process and use them to eliminate or at least shorten the amount of non-productive time, either on the administrative side or the clinical side, so you, you essentially get more leverage out of your human capital. Is that a cool? Good summary. I, I think it is a good summary, right? And I think those are those are areas of focus, right? We talked about, uh, or, or the, the the call to action for top line, it was go play some offense, right? And I think the call to action for bottom line is go find ways to automate, right? Automation is key. Automation is the future of technology in our space. Well, that brings us to you know that's a, a great pivot to a, a question I had that I wanted to use as a way to kind of wrap up our discussion today. And, and, and that is about, you know, the future. And while I know you can't exactly predict the future, um, what I think our listeners would really like to know is, 
you know, if you're an executive at a behavioral health provider organization, what are the three or four scientific developments or new technologies that you would recommend that they keep tabs on in as part of their future strategy development? You're right. We can't predict the future, but I think it's part of our job to try, right? And try and see around the corner a little bit uh, and make recommendations for uh, what the leaders of behavioral health organizations should be focused on. Um, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to give you the three. Uh, the first one is exactly what we were talking about, right? It is AI. A AI is everywhere today. Uh, but there are different forms of AI, right? AI is a, is a, is a school of data science. Um, that really describes how you can leverage technology to perform a task that historically only a human could perform. And there are lots of different ways to do that. And we talked about those previously in terms of natural language processing to help with clinical documentation, robotic process automation to automate uh, repetitive tasks. Um, and, and I do think we as an organization need to figure out how uh, the neural network type of AI, which is what GPT-4 is, how we leverage that in a really responsible way, right? So I think AI is number one. Um, number two is I, I believe that the way that we interface with technology is going to change dramatically over the next five years. Um, and I, I, it's a little bit of a safe bet because it's already changed over the last five years, right? We went, we went from uh, primarily inter interfacing with technology via laptops and computers to mobile devices. Um, and I think the same thing is going to happen in, in, in the future where we look at spatial computing, uh, where we look at uh, potentially just uh, wearables um, being used in a different way. And I think we need to pay attention to how we can leverage these technologies so that you kind of remove the barrier between the human and the technology and you make it a lot easier to use. Um, and then I, I think the, the, the final thing um, that we need to look at is how to responsibly leverage digital therapeutics in our space. Um, and what I mean by digital therapeutics is the technology that you give directly to a consumer to help to deliver their care. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever be in a position where it replaces the human. That's, that's not what I'm advocating for. Um, but it, it can keep that individual more engaged in between sessions that they have with a, uh, with a clinician. Uh, and that can lead to better outcomes. And, um, you know, I think from, from our perspective, it is how can we leverage those uh, in a way that's responsible, that drives better outcomes, and that's measurable um, for the impact that it has on the overall health care of, of, of the people that we're working with. Well, I think you said one important piece there, regardless of what that new technology is that comes down the pipe, and that is I really can't emphasize enough the importance for executive teams to have data about how things work. You know, what are the effects on costs? What are the effects on on the factors that are relevant to payers? And most importantly, what are the effects on consumer outcomes, consumer performance? Uh, there, there's a, you know, there, there are so many new and emerging technologies, but, but I find very little, very little organized effort to try to measure their effect. And don't you think that's going to be what differentiates the organizations that are successful and not successful with doing some of these new things? I do. I, I absolutely do. And um, I, I can tell you some of the things that that we're focused on. Right. So um, we're, we're focused on measuring a the impact that emerging technologies have on the users of, of that technology. Right. So 
two uh, main uh, initiatives that we have is number one, we want to uh, reduce the amount of time that it takes for our users, clinicians, to complete key workflows by 30% over the next four years. Uh, it's an interesting place to be as a technologist because you're designing technology to make it used less, uh, but it's absolutely something that we need to do. Uh, and then number two, uh, we need that technology to be easier to learn, right? More intuitive. And over the same period of time, our goal is to reduce the amount of time it takes to educate, train, and ramp up a new user by 50%. And these are all things where we have monitoring deployed directly into our technology to measure how much time these things take, right? But that's that's the impact on the user, the, the either the clinician, the front desk worker, or you know the the revenue cycle management uh, professional. Uh, I think to your point, it's also incumbent on us to measure the impact that it has on the individuals that our clients are serving. And that goes directly to outcomes measures. Um, and the other part of technology that we haven't really talked about is analytics, right? It's business intelligence tools. It's, um, it's how you use data to learn more about the effectiveness of your organization from a business perspective, from a clinical perspective, you know, really whatever you're looking for. And, you know, you absolutely need to be able to measure those outcomes and you need to overlay changes in treatment protocol, like the adoption of a digital therapeutic, so you can measure the impact it has uh, on your population. Well, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I think that three-part approach we've talked about, about how do you drive top line, how do you assure a bottom line, and then, uh, you know, how do you keep your eye on the future and be constantly innovating is really the formula that I hope more and more of our behavioral health provider organizations adopt as a strat, you know, their strategic planning framework for the future. And I really look forward to uh, future discussions and perhaps checking in in a few months and seeing where, what are the new developments and how has this changed? So, so thank you, Dave. I, this has been a great discussion and I look forward to the next one. Thank you, Monica. I do too. It's always a pleasure talking to you and I, I'm really looking forward to checking back in in a few months. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.